0: Riverside Chats is sponsored by listeners like you. Pitch in to keep this podcast going strong, bringing you the unique perspectives, personalities, and topics you love. Click the listener support link in the podcast notes for this episode to learn more. From KIOS in Omaha, you're listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock, and today I'm talking with Omaha permaculture
1: founder, Gus von Rowan. Permaculture is essentially an ideology. It's guided by ethics. Take care of the earth, take care of people, and then if you have extras, leftovers, because of your system is so efficient, you've done those things, make sure those that are not doing well in your community, in your neighborhood, make sure they have some of your excess time and skills and materials and food. And so there's a really strong ethic of creating a circle in your community and make sure nobody's left out. We talk about sustainability at a personal and municipal
0: level, environmental restoration, and building community through rethinking our relationship with nature. Stay tuned for that conversation after this break. Hi, and you're listening to Car Free Midwest.
1: We're a podcast based in Omaha, Nebraska, exploring the stories, barriers, and joys of getting around the Midwest without a car.
0: Our goal is to build a community around more transportation equity and less car dependency.
1: I'm Sarah Johnson.
0: And I'm Joshua LeBure.
1: We'll be here every other week with interviews, topics, and documentary pieces covering all things transportation.
0: And we'll be talking a lot about bikes, e-bikes, and cargo bikes, because once you get to know us, you'll find that that's what we're obsessed with.
1: So subscribe to Car Free Midwest wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: A production of Figure Podcasts.
1: With support from Mode Shift Omaha.
0: Welcome to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. Today I'm talking with Gus von Rowan founder of Omaha Permaculture, which envisions cities teeming with permaculture gardens where neighbors gather to harvest organic food, build relationships, and learn about the natural world. Omaha Permaculture manages 17 properties, plans a robust portfolio of programs, and maintains partnerships with the city planning department, Omaha Municipal Land Bank, Habitat for Humanity, and other collaborators to address the need for sustainable land management. Here is our conversation. The environment in the next few decades slash century scares me, and I feel like it's been hanging over my head for you know most of my adult life. How scared are you about the future or do you feel okay about things?
1: Well, that's a very natural instinct to have these days, uh, especially after a year we've just had uh, i'm I used to be more optimistic and it's definitely being tested this year. Uh, I'd like to see more movement uh, geopolitically towards this in in collaboration. And that's where I'm at right now. I want to see more collaboration uh, for us to all be speaking the same language as to what's in front of us and acknowledging, uh, you know, the the fact that each year is a little different and moving in a direction. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's hard to ignore that. Uh, I, I feel at this point when you have the entire western side of our country that is breaking records in terms of how many acres are really being affected and then downwind from that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's something where I think about that a lot, and certainly more and more it's hard to ignore, and it seems like it's maybe not ignored the way it once was, but also it's tough to get people to talk proactively or to try to change their lives in meaningful ways, right? So, I mean, what's your relationship with nature been like? Like As a kid, did did you have a lot of experience just hanging out outside? Is that where this starts for you?
1: I love that question, because yes, I was a city boy growing up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I look forward to every opportunity to get out of the city and be around water, go around, you know, to lakes. I love to fish a lot. And I was an active child. I still consider myself pretty active. You know, living in Omaha, you know, I have to, to activate a lot of the the messaging of environmentalism, even in the city. I feel it, it definitely had merged in my life to become much of a bigger issue worthy of starting my own nonprofit and, and talk highly about how environmentalism is very important in front of you in your daily lives. Were your parents environmentalists? Was this something where it was just kind of part of the culture? That's a great question. It is not necessarily uh, tied to anybody in my family. Uh, I guess my father was a physician and my mother was a French teacher, uh, but she was very active in our in my school's programming and helping out with, with uh, educational programs. But no, I didn't have any major inspiration in terms of environmentalism within my own family, but uh, there was one story in my life that did affect me to kind of move towards this direction, and that was the fact that my mother did pass away from cancer, and she grew up her entire life living in Maslin, Ohio, and it wasn't until the presentation of Google Earth, properly 2001, 2002, I was able to look over where my mom grew up, and observe that she grew downwind and downstream from three major coal plants. Mm. I, I've had enough chemistry in my life and biology in my, because I went to Creighton here and was on the track for pre-med, but those uh, calculus really hit me. So, <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately uh, I became a, more of an anthropology major at that time and really seeing all the social trends that affect our lives and seeing how those affect us as people. And then connecting the dots, knowing where we live in Nebraska, knowing the way the prevailing winds normally go, we're collectors in a Petri dish of our own kind. You know, it, it shows up as a cancer later on in your life or Alzheimer's or Parkinson's and... We, we are products of our environment, and that's ultimately what I felt like I discovered in the early 2000s.
0: So, I mean, was that the moment then that it's sort of like that shaped your worldview or it changed your worldview enough that that was going to be the direction going forward?
1: Yes, that was roughly the time. Right, right around 2005, all the way up to 2010, I, I realized I needed to be more active about what I was discovering. Well, I mean, that's, it's kind of a broad issue, though, because there's a lot
0: of different directions you can go in there, right? So how did you start that journey? beginning
1: the journey was introspective first. It was looking at my own habits and looking at my own routines and what can I do in my own daily life. And once I realized that there's limits to what one person, one family might be able to do compared to what the large producers can be doing and our kind of corporate culture and consumer culture can change and uh, and, and alter over time uh, based on technology or based on, uh, you know, just routines of life uh, or a pandemic coming along or something like that. There are ways that we can subtly change things so that we're, we're being symbiotic with our environment. Yeah. I don't know if the pandemic necessarily proved that or shown that it's possible, but uh, in some respects, we actually emitted more during those times, even though we're driving less, staying at home more. There's a lot more shipping going on, mm. you know, so there's pros and cons to that. And we're a growing population worldwide. And so you think all these problems are, you know, going to get more efficient over time or, or are they going to compound themselves over time without forethinking uh, about these larger systems with, without thinking of how to consolidate some of your arteries and rather than just consi- adding another extremity to mm. your, your system.
0: So a lot of people start with recycling or something like that, right? So like the personal responsibility, uh, what can I do, what's available to me? But it sounds like recycling is pretty complicated, not always that helpful either, right? Because you're still buying and consuming a lot of plastic that still gets thrown out or polluted. So I guess, what what kind of personal changes do you make or should people make
1: that actually might be meaningful on that micro level? That's a great question, because uh, there are six things someone who is trying to embrace your community, trying to be more environmental in, you know, on a day-to-day basis. One of them is look at your house and where you're living and try to make it more efficient. So seal those windows a little bit better before winter. You know, try to you know use the air conditioning more efficiently. There's actually cost-effective ways to remove all that hot stale air of the day, whole house fans that use a quarter of the amount of electricity you use for uh, an air conditioner. Not everyone needs an air conditioner, but we have a hundred degree days. We heard how Portland was languishing in those moments when they didn't have air conditioners, but being cognizant of our electrical use as a consumer is a big one. Then it's it's plastic use. Plastic use is something I deal with every single day. After the pandemic, we, we're now dealing with more plastic in our life and more uh, frivolous little things that we have to throw away. and. And then Omaha is a very spread out geographically city. So, and with very poor uh, public transportation, you know, it's getting better in, you know, MAPA is doing great things in that regard. But uh, the infrastructure is being built right now for that, for a growing city like ours. If you have to get in your car to make one errand every day, despite of our, your pandemic routine being affected, you know, you're, you're part of the congestion. You're part of the stop and start of just sitting in a traffic light and it, chugging away unless you're driving an electric car now. Uh, But those also have their pros and cons of taxing the grid. Uh, Unless you have your own solar panels on your roof, you're part of the consumption as well
0: it does seem like we've come a long way at least in the last 10 years or at least since like 2005 or so right because what i remember about 2005 mainly was just everyone was talking about al gore and the electric car was kind of this mythical thing and now you know it's it's maybe not easily accessible for everybody but we're kind of getting there do you think that these trends are ultimately helpful i know there's concerns about lithium
1: mining and some of the other environmental impacts of going electric even i'm glad you brought that part up. It's because uh, you know, there is no technology save for our consumption model. We're just looking for the next thing to overconsume in some respects. And unless we come up with some energy process that is extremely efficient or that its source is so abundant, like hydrogen power, being able to turn salt water into something. And those are the holy grail moments that uh, we're looking for. And even in nuclear fusion, instead of fission. We're actually looking for a way to make a lot more power using a lot less waste. Uh, We're on the cusp, and unfortunately, we've had to go through an entire century of acting like there were no limits, and to realize we're about to hit some limits. And then now, then, you know, it's the military that's usually in charge of innovation, or it, it used to be academic institutions. Uh, Between the two of them, you know, corporations and our corporate world is starting to see the value in coming up with alternative and more sustainable and renewable ways to do things. Knowing what color to paint your house because a lighter color will reflect heat. A darker color will uh, absorb heat. Those types of old-timey knowledge is what you find in permaculture. If integrated into urban living, rural living, uh, you can bring your, your footprint down. And integrate it into not necessarily the way our great-grandparents le- lived but integrate it with renewable energies and you're not going to be giving away all your favorite electrical luxuries while you're doing this you may be able to sacrifice some things but being cognizant and paying attention to your energy footprint is over half the battle if you just walk out of a room that you just turn four things on I have family members where I see that on a regular basis and if you have kids that's tough to, to even rein in more uh, but I think those are those are important to, to understand. Smart houses are are optimistic because they can turn and lower you know or increase the temperature in rooms autonomously depending on if you're there or not. Turn the lights off afterwards. Those are the technology solutions that I, I, I would embrace. You know, not all technology, uh, whether it's the nuclear angle, which is so expensive and so complicated, and then the waste and all those things. You know, some technologies better than other technology. And we'll have different strengths yeah. in, in, in the solution uh, pool for us in the years to come.
0: If you're just joining us, I'm talking today with Gus Von Rowan, founder of Omaha Permaculture. It seems like you've kind of mentioned here that it, once you start to notice these things, it's easier to continue to notice more and more of what you do, what you don't do, how you do it, how you know where you buy it from, what, where it goes after you're done with it. One of the other things that I've been kind of obsessed with is yards. Uh, which will be kind of a, I think a, a way to transition into talking about Omaha permaculture but like so I uh, sometime in the last 10 years started composting and that really sort of changed my way of looking at all sorts of so much of what I use what I buy uh, where it goes being more invested in the yard I have started to have this aversion to grass yards and the I don't do, do you happen to follow uh, Jeff Vandermeer's rewilding at all. Yes, yes. I just happened to read his book, Annihilation, whenever that came out like five years ago. And I started following him. And then I, I follow. So on Twitter and Facebook, he posts that he's been. He bought. Uh, he originally had a different house where he was trying to rewild it. And then he bought a larger yard that's connected to some kind of I think wildlife easement and so he's been putting all these native plants in and it's been this big production of seeing how it's developed over the years and that's I think it's really addicting to see that because nobody has shown me that you could do that with a yard before I'm not good at that the way he is and I don't have as many resources to figure out how to make it as cool as what he has but I, I guess the question is, how do you feel about some of that? But like, do do you get into just the choices of like what do you do with your own yard as well as outside, I guess outside of the house in addition to inside of the house or the car?
1: Definitely, uh, permaculture is is trying to make your happy space, your backyard, an oasis for you to enjoy. Uh, a permaculture you know application works great in a small yard all the way. To large farming farming acreages you know you you gain efficiencies and sustainability that you didn't realize were sitting right in front of you depending on how the sun hits your yard and whether your house is shading most of it or trees are there uh, and then understanding the, the, the values of, if, of contour if you have a hill in your yard versus a flat yard there are so many little variables in your yard that are opportunities Uh, A shaded yard is not a a done thing. There's so many plants that grow in shade uh, versus out there in the middle of the yard where there's more sun. So I love the fact that you brought up composting because that ends up being uh, probably the easiest first step to get somebody who is not normally accustomed to getting into their own consumption habits and then marrying it with their outdoor habitat. Uh, because simply by going through the steps of making a simple lasagna, uh, brown green brown green uh, compost pile in your backyard, you're 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 countering that instinct to collect everything in your yard. Like everybody rakes their leaves in the yard, when ultimately that's the tree's way of returning the nutrition back to the soil. And if we were, were quickly removing it because it doesn't look tidy, uh, we're we're now forced into a situation to bring nutrition back into our soils and our yard. Therefore, you need companies to come and give you applications. Uh, and no one loves to see like the wetted, matted leaf looks, and, and then it, you feel like it's killing the lawn because you want a nice, pristine green. Uh, there's ways to, to bring all those leaves into one pile and let it settle in just one spot in, in the corner of your maybe eighth or sixth acre yard. You should, there should be plenty of space for that. If you've got a big oak or a big maple, you may need a little more space but <laughs> but there are opportunities to turn your backyard into something that is is regenerating habitat. It's regenerating nutrition in your soil. It's regenerating all the insect cycles in the soil that are are buried during parts of the year. And when they come up, they aerate your soil, and they leave their exoskeleton, that is calcium and carbonate and other nutrients that are being added to your soil on a regular day. But if you're constantly tidying it up and raking it and everything, you're breaking the natural process of your soil and your green yard. It's becoming manhandled. It's, like it's a product of your own uh, Maintenances and routines and you probably end up having amending things to your yard to bring it back what nature would be doing anyway
0: yeah i mean it's tough then to get people to accept that because people want it to look tidy so i know like personally any attempt i've made to rewild yards like my fiance, sometimes is like can we have like the nice area and then the wild area and so you gotta make compromises like that sometimes just to to not get in a fight, but I have a
1: wife too, <laughs> yeah, what's your yard like? <laughs> well, it is definitely more relaxed in its aesthetic uh but honestly, when we have people come over, you know it, it's definitely warm it's a an inviting place. you don't feel like you know, something's going to jump out of the tree that's so close to you. It's right next to you. You're walking through a path and you, the trees are touching you. The plants are touching you. It's, there's not like a barrier of being, you know, mode in between. You're really up front and personal with the nature of the backyard. And, uh, I think that's the best way to describe it. I had a colleague point out, point that out to me and said, well, you know, I'm glad I'm not scared of anything in your yard. And it's not like there's mosquitoes or there's no rattlesnake that's going to come out. or There's nothing to be scared of in Nebraska, really. And so we don't have poison ivy there. It's As long as you know that your your boundaries and your comfort zone is okay in a setting like that, it's like walking through a forest that a trail isn't forged for you. Um, and we only have about a sixth-acre little backyard. Uh, and then in that goes to show what, you know, I was looking for more land to kind of demonstrate the the stewardship process. And so that's why I began a a nonprofit.
0: So, So, okay. So you'd been into a lot of this stuff before it became something where you wanted to make it more of a citywide effort. Mm -hmm. So what was the point then when you then decided that, okay, maybe instead of just trying to cultivate more land for yourself, it needed to be bigger than you?
1: Yes. So that that was early, let's see, 2011, 2012. I had a joined a local board here called the Metro Omaha Food Policy Council and uh they were very instrumental in talking about how, you know, the food, the quality of the food and how it's its accessibility and anything that has to do with food really but combining all of our food equity nonprofits uh both on you know on the consumption side, all the way to the production and the distribution in the middle, and uh, really having a larger discussion about the policies that affect and limit the uh, the ability to do that here in a city. And so by being on that board, uh, I was able to discover some kind of what I thought were gaping holes in our system, even though that people don't think that we have problems in our system. And here here we're the home of ConAgra. This is essentially where uh, processed food began worldwide. Mm -hmm. We taught the world how to to eat processed food and produce it. You know, all around Omaha, you'll find a different city or a little town that was instrumental back in the 50s and 60s of being part of that new, quicker food movement. Uh, Fremont had the old Hungry Jack templates that stamped out for the, the TV dinners. And uh, you can find those stories all in the history around Nebraska. And ConAgra funneled it and brought it here. And then we taught the world how to do that. Uh, but we have a lot of land here in Omaha. And if you think of all those cobblestone streets down in Omaha, that was those old streets were designed to move food around first, not way before the car. You know, you can imagine carts pulled by, by, you know, animals, and then and then those awnings, there were food protected, and that, that was our food system. You know, much has changed since then, and now people don't necessarily know where their food comes from, uh, and the food that is grown here in most of Nebraska is food grown for more food, you know, so we grow our corn and soy for feed, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's great to be in a powerhouse of of food production you know in in the country United, in in our country but we really have uh lost some of this knowledge of how to grow food you know from our grandmothers or you know however we saw it originally and uh being able to use vacant land in north omaha or anywhere in in your in your neighborhood is a great way to celebrate the fact that we're in a great growing region, you know, our, our soils are very good uh, and we have a pretty good growing season. It's actually getting a little longer every year, you know, and thinking about it, being able to assist a growing season with a little cold frame, just put a little plastic over it and you can amplify and grow for another three to four months uh, from your normal six to seven. So uh, it's possible to grow food here all year round. and I am optimistic. Going back to your original question, I am optimistic of our chances here in Nebraska to uh, kind of weather the storm of climate change coming down our, 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 uh, you know, through our north winds and through our south winds. I think we have resilience and and kind of sustainability built in our ethos and our hardships of dealing with the north wind switching to south wind, north wind switch. We are used to qu- constant change here. Our weather, it's, I've, I've been in many kind of circles with international people. I, I play soccer and, and the people that come here from other places of the world, they ask, like, you guys talk about the weather a lot. <laughs> and I, it, to, it just dawned on me, like, it does change a lot. And you don't quite know when that gradual season is all of a sudden going to flip. And, uh, you know, so I've done gardening and farming enough to know that that that's very true. You know, it's like we I do have to kind of pay attention to the weather, you know, the using an app and paying attention to what's going to happen a week and a half out. You know, it doesn't always save you, but, you know, it helps you. Um, that's the best justification I think anyone's ever given for why we talk about weather so much.
0: <laughs> I mean, usually it's such a stereotype like, oh, these boring people, that's all they talk about. <laughs> but maybe there is a practical use here. Yeah, I'll. I'll uh, Justifying it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, so uh, Omaha permaculture is centered almost exclusively in North Omaha, right?
1: Well, it, I wouldn't say exclusively, but mostly. Okay. Um, and that's generally because there's more vacant land up there that is very difficult to maintain, and the city that city and other landowners that own some of that vacant land they need help to keep it looking nice and to keep it from being dumped on. Uh, there's a lot of behind, you know, tucked away streets, with tucked away with uh, properties with low lighting that uh, don't, you know, dumping happens and it, you need someone to call it in. And uh, I guess our organization establishes good presence in some of those tucked away neighborhoods of your non-ideal gardening properties, but properties that the city and other partners need help with and uh, we just put a sign on those properties with our phone number and we can answer that any time of the week and uh, we increase the uh, the aesthetics of the curb appeal we make sure that it looks nice on the front we may not mow it all the way down in the middle but we get rid of your noxious weeds Uh, but we will not remove your state flower a goldenrod as it's in its infancy earlier in may you know those are the things that we mow around and we actually have a, a training that uh, follows ecological and agricultural principles so that it not only builds the, the uh, soil health, but it is also allowing a diversity of plants to grow there that are mostly native and don't need watering m- above what our rainwater provides.
0: What's your stance on mowing? Is there, is there a
1: benefit to mowing? Mowing is the, the, is the true, uh, I guess, practice that is exclusively for people. And if you want to have ownership in your backyard or in your in a little, you know, uh, trail or a property that's vacant next to you, I would recommend mowing a trail through it. And I think a a mower has its place. And if you have children, you want them to be on a soft, lush surface playing in the yard and getting their hands dirty and all those things. I don't have any problem with making your space, yours, and uh, using the energy necessary to make it and the routines that necessary. But try to make it as organic as possible, uh, and there's ways to reduce your mowing. Uh, and, but you know, from a permaculture perspective, you're not needing to mow all the way to the extremities of your fence lines every week. You probably could focus on the area you know your kids play in. You know, and then maybe have degrees of how often you mow the other parts. And then uh, so I think just understanding how much time that you're mowing on a weekend, if you're spending two to four hours of time on a mower and with all those petroleum products and and the costs that go into it. Actually, the the, the new electric mowers are super expensive. So people are buying some really nice machinery right now that it's kind of nice as a new toy sort of way. But at the same time, uh, I mean, those are two to four hours of your weekend that you could be with your family. You could have gone out on a you know canoeing down the river. You could have done a few other things. You know, we work so hard. Our works are our, our daily lives and our, our weekly lives are full of a lot of a lot of things to do. You know, family life, and uh, unless you, you 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 have an instinct to. to, to to uh, mow patterns in your lawn or there's something that really you enjoy go do it you know but ultimately it's a chore and it, it doesn't really need to be as intense as we think it should be unless you imagine playing football on that large swath of lawn on a regular basis or imagine that you someday might throw the football on that you know um I guess I, I I always mowed a lawn when I was in college. Uh, we were I was renting with a bunch of other guys, and we had this really nice spread that we mowed, and we liked to mow it. But how often we really did things on there, like throw a frisbee or play soccer or something, it was probably only like five times a year, you know. So just understanding your use, uh, but at the same time, don't don't do anything that is going to affect the aesthetics of your neighborhood or upset your neighbors, and. Mm-hmm. And when you – and that is actually the ultimate bottleneck of all, this entire conversation is because, you know, you don't – if you're on a block that has a covenant or you have some rules behind it, you know, definitely don't rock the boat. Uh, you know, maybe talk to the neighbors and bounce it off them way <laughs> earlier than you try something. Uh, but in Omaha, there are no regulations against growing food or growing anything in your front yard.
0: I'm talking today with Omaha Permaculture founder, Gus Von Rowan. Let us know what you think. Follow Riverside Chats on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We'll continue my conversation with Gus Von Rowan after this break. This is the Talk of Iowa Book Club. I'm Charity Nebbe. Book clubs are fun for a lot of reasons. They're an excuse to read something new, something you might not have picked up on your own. They are a great opportunity to visit with friends, but what if you could invite the smartest, most insightful people you can think of to have a candid conversation about a great book? That's what I get to do on the Talk of Iowa Book Club, and
1: you're invited. He really was able to convey the message in a way that gets to your heartstrings. We can really see that he is a scientist, but he's also a person who loves what he is studying. He's a scholar and a humanist, and and I think that's his greatest achievement.
0: And then it's like, punch, punch, oh my gosh, what? So you have this like visceral, emotional connection to the poem, and it's because of the way he's linguistically playing with language Let's talk about sex, because, of course, in the original book... Um, Dan sex- and I have always longed for someone
1: to say that to both of us on the radio.
0: <laughs> A dream come true. Yeah, All right. thank you. All right. The Talk of Iowa Book Club podcast coming soon from Iowa Public Radio. It's time to start reading. And welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock, and I've been doing this show for a little while now. Check out the backlog of Riverside Chats episodes wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite app is. I'm talking with Gus Von Rowan about sustainability at a city level, which he fosters through Omaha Permaculture, an organization that envisions cities teeming with permaculture gardens where neighbors gather to harvest food, build relationships, learn about the natural world, and rethink what cities should look like. Here's the rest of our conversation. Has there been pushback between this ideal of, I mean, everybody seems to want lawns and yards and just space by streets to be closely grow, or, uh, mowed, green grass right and so i mean in your approach with omaha permaculture has there been pushback from people who want these vacant lots
1: to just be mowed lawns oh yes Uh, yes it's definitely and actually i would put it in geographic terms i think if we get go west of 52nd street it's tougher to have a relaxed lawn presentation Uh, or i think the more north you go you're okay uh, in South Omaha well, they, it likes tidy it's just parts of the city that depending on uh, I guess the neighborhood aesthetic already that exists and how tidy everybody keeps things uh, it really comes down to um, does it look weeded then you know in that respect because I've seen really nice native landscape plantings in the middle of West Omaha property, or uh, neighborhoods uh, but it looks like they're going through and meticulously pulling the weeds in between you know what would be like 30 different plants and it may look chaos like chaos to someone but i think that, that there's enough floral and color being you know spread out to the community that they they see that as a positive but they don't quite know how mm-hmm. you know and so maybe they may receive uh, pushback also within their own neighborhoods but i'm surprised that there there are as many natively planted landscapes in the middle of what i would can say uh a more traditional or conservative landscaping neighborhood.
0: So, so I mean, you, you brought some pictures of projects that you were working on. And, I mean, is part of the idea then of Omaha Permaculture to be these are examples of what the yards or the lawns can look like and to try to ultimately inspire people to, you know, accept it more, to have our idea of what to do with land change as a city?
1: definitely people re- respond to pictures and, and and renderings and and drawings of a before and after you know people love the before and after and and in permaculture world you know there's there, that's no different you know you want to work with something that looks uh, you know unmaintained and something that looks the soil looks completely degraded gravelly or uh, at least in the urban context you know you're working with some type of property that has been just compacted from uh, vehicles, it's been dumped on. Uh, but th- there is a way to kind of uh, lead people towards a path of, of what makes sense and what grows in that property and lead them towards experiments and projects that, yeah, you, you, things may die, you know, you're not always, it's not always gonna be perfect because you don't, you don't know what's in front of you Uh, until you start observing it and you start learning from it Uh, and permaculture is really about that process of paying attention to your property your new property that you're about to garden or transform but watch it over the entire roller coaster and extremes of our weather you know all what does how does the soil absorb five inch rain events Uh, how much of the property receives full sun what parts of the property receive the cold north wind. You know, these are all variables that you want to observe over a year, and then you can start slowly designing and imagining what could be there or to help, you know, create solutions so that, you know, it's not not windy there. You can be there and be protected. And, uh, you know, you can be out there under the shade of a tree. You could, all these variables is something, are things that help you uh, imagine uh, a property that naturally provides for you and that you don't have to build structures for or you don't have to bring in an, a turf grass. You don't have to convert it tragically and, and, and uh, kind of scorch earth the property first to be able to start things again. In most properties, uh, there is a seed bank in that soil unless it's been scraped off before and you know, like a, a developer was there or something but there's a seed bank that pretty much holds all of the native flowers that are in our environment they're all there they're in the bank you know you just need to let the rain go for a season and not mow it and then see the what plants are being expressed and it's picking the winners and losers from that point i mean you don't want to pick the burdock you don't want something that has really awesome burrs that gets in your your you know those are the types of plants I, i'm not very keen on And I have a dog, so it gets in the dog's hair. And uh, so ultimately, you know, picking winners and losers is the process. And it's learning your backyard again. And it's learning that piece of grass and, and yard or soil right in front of you. And the expression of those seeds. And there aren't that many bad offenders that can grow out of your yard here in Nebraska uh i mean my, I, i'm saying this and i know a few other people that are going to call me out on that uh but at the same time i mean poison ivy that's really it i've had problems with
0: i think it's english ivy okay yeah it's, that seems to invade pretty quickly anytime yep. i get a, a wild space and i i've pulled it out and i've found these huge roots in the ground and I, I feel like it's always kind of a losing battle do you know how to can you help me
1: yes yes so Honestly, anything that does bug you, uh, wait till the season where it's kind of browned out and it's died out, and then if you can maybe mark that area and mark where the vines are, wait till most of those oils are dormant and died and they're not as active. Uh, those oils are usually more active when the leaves are on the, you know, on the vine and everything. So try to yank it in winter.
0: It, it's bad to have it, right? Because it's an invasive.
1: Yeah, you know, invasive and, and bad to have it is is a relative. You know discussion it's really all your comfort level sure you know but i mean that so the gold
0: standard usually is you'd ideally want all native plants yes and so if it's i mean english ivy comes from england right so it's i mean it's it's it does take over a yard it seems like and kind of i don't know if it i don't know if it actually kills other things but it seems like it kind of takes over where other things are that i would want to grow and that seems negative to me right right so would you pull it out of your yard
1: you know, if it if it takes over, like the, the terms you're using, if it takes over, then yes, I would start removing it or at least uh, make sure it doesn't, you know, encroach upon my favorites because I'll, I'll make an analogy with bindweed. You know, bindweed is voracious and constantly tries to yank and suffocate anything you try to grow. And even though you pull it one week, it's working on it the next week and you kind of need to be constantly going at it. Uh, you know... It, The reason I bring up bindweed is because it's affecting the growth of my favorite plants. Mm -hmm. If, If something is affecting the growth of your favorite plants, yank it, you know, get rid of it. It should not be part of the system. But if it's being pretty, it pretty much is behaving in a corner of your property that is shaded and it's not encroaching, most things are not a bother, you know, unless it is obviously taken over. Yeah. So, I mean, when you had the vision for this, then
0: for Omaha Permaculture, were there other cities that were doing a good job of this and that's where you got it? Or how did you, how did
1: you come up with the concept? Hmm. Okay. Uh, you know, I did definitely did not come up with the concept. So I was taught by some people I sought after, uh, Permaculture, uh, Santa Fe Institute out of uh, Santa Fe. And I, I approached and went with, uh, Scott Pittman because he, uh, explain things from a cultural anthropology perspective and that is also my background and so I wanted to understand the nuances of you know we're learning these trades but these trades and these skills you know came from populations halfway around the world and you know short of putting this new this knowledge which is hundreds thousands of years old under a hat of permaculture and saying oh this is our this is our uh You know, education. This is our knowledge, and not so. You know, this is we're sharing the all the great knowledge of how to grow food and grow and cultivate your your surroundings, but done in a way that that is honoring the environment and the habitat that you're around. Uh, And I think that you know, permaculture is is one of the better ways to integrate environmentalism and then your. The, the lived space of a, man, of a person. And, and it's not just raw sustainability. It, it's not just talking about a market solution. It's talking about neighborhoods again. It's talking about the sociability. And permaculture is essentially an ideology. It's guided by ethics. Take care of the earth, take care of people. And then if you have extras, leftovers, because of your system is so efficient and you've done those things, make sure those that are not doing well in your community, in your neighborhood, make sure they have some of your excess time and skills and materials and food. And and so there's a really strong ethic of creating a circle in your community and make sure nobody's left out.
0: If you're just joining us, I'm talking today with Omaha permaculture founder, Gus Von Rowan. Well, I noticed even on the website, you mentioned that there's a inc- uh, positive impact of increased pride and reduced crime in Omaha potentially from some of this. Is there is there research that suggests permaculture can reduce crime?
1: Yes, whether you call it permaculture or the fact that it's just gardening in your neighborhood or a, a space that looks well-maintained that is, doesn't have structures on it, uh, it, but it serves the purpose of healthy living. And I guess i I pay attention to you know Omaha City Police Department has uh, crime statistics that you can go over past years and actually uh, click on a block and see what types of offenses have happened during a duration. And uh, for the most part, I have I've withheld being able to brag that it does anything big in that regard until we have more years of data to kind of back that up. But we're in our sixth year and uh, some of our properties have kind of been bouncing around. We have different properties than we, when we started, but uh, ultimately we see a cleaner trend and there's usually a circle around big, colorful dots on that map that they have. And there's usually a void of, of dots around our properties and where it'll be totally covered when it, you know, a block away, a couple blocks away. And I, I don't want to say that that's proof of anything, but I, it is something I have been paying attention to, and I would love to be able to brag that someday. Uh, there have been articles written about that, but in, it's hard for me to include that in a grant narrative uh, because there's really no definitive proof in, in, in urban context because I would imagine it's so hard to, to, to narrow down the variables and eliminate variables as to why that's happening. But.
0: Do you have a theory of what, what the cause and effect relationship is there?
1: I'm, I'm going to start, I'm going to go with what I initially said. It's healthy living. And that, that, that depiction of healthy living and you walk by and it looks well-maintained and there isn't trash strewn about, it's all picked up and, and respected as well as a mode lawn is respected. You know, someone who maintains that it's done in the same way and there's a path and, uh, but there is also an unorganized chaos that is allowed as well that really is the source of how wildlife regenerates our soil and so forth. And so uh, I think there's a, a, a good marriage, a happy mi- middle of both, um, you know, unorganized chaos in, in, in the, but also at the same time manicured on the curb appeals and where any, anyone, any, any people are walking through the properties. Uh, So I don't know what my theory in terms of the direct connection, uh, but I think it's straight. It's the healthy living. uh, And I think everybody walks by a property like that and does feel something, you know, I'd like to think they do. Um, And uh, that there is maybe some pride compared to walking past just a vacant lot that is gravelly and, and chain link fence and you know it just looks a little i would say a little more sad mm-hmm. you know uh i think that there are benefits there's soft benefits to having green space green space that is not a park mm-hmm. uh you know it's the trees it's the oxygen level it's the insects it's it's the birds you know it really brings uh sounds smells to to a neighborhood that would otherwise not have those moments well and so you you guys you were working on the Sustainability Center,
0: right, which is kind of like a new headquarters, right, for Omaha permaculture. Are there elements that you want to talk about about what the project is or ways people can help with it while I have you here?
1: That's a great question, I'm, and, and I'm very excited to be uh, on your show, be able being able to talk about this. But I'm very excited because we're at a, at a crossroads. We're normally a seasonal organization that, you know, kind of gets the ball rolling in late February and March and we have seasonal workers that show up you know March and then we have to release them in December. With the, the acquisition, the potential acquisition of a larger what we're calling a headquarter property, a place that will hold our tractors and you know our machines and some greenhouses for demonstrations sake, the educational components of this. if we have a property that is able to host wintertime programming, I feel and my board feels the board of omaha permaculture feels that we would be uh appealing to a much wider uh audience and we'd be able to grow and hit a new plateau of being able to discuss what is sustainability in omaha and in nebraska what does that mean and what does it look like and with only having you know residential garden lots and that's most of the the properties that we do work with and some of them we own some of them we work through our other organizations those properties you know we kind of have to fold up in october there are quite a few rules of what you can and can't do on some of these residential properties even if you own it uh you know there is an aesthetic that is you know needs to be maintained for that so these are the reasons why our organization has had it in our strategic plan since 2016 that we were going to someday find a place that allows us to demonstrate sustainability as kind of in a museum fashion, so that kids uh, can drop, you know, be dropped off in the school buses and uh, they can walk through and tour different aspects of what sustainability means in Nebraska. Whether it's renewable energy, it's uh, milling your own wood, uh, it's it's skills that maybe our parents and grandparents knew how to just fix things around the house. Uh, we retool all of our, 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 tools. If they're broken, we fix them. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, kind of circular, uh, training in, in the, in the, you know, that really makes sure that we honor what are, what are the old tools and what are the new tools and, and being able to discuss what is, um, I, I guess, what is cost effective in, in a family's life and realizing that you don't have to go out and buy something new every every couple years. If something breaks, you actually can fix those things. Uh, but if we're a place to be able to have inventory, to be able to store some of these tools, to be able to uh, fix things, we will hit a level where I feel like sustainability deserves, uh, not only in Omaha, Nebraska, but in the Midwest, uh, in the, in this country. I look to other... Uh, organizations that have existed before me, and I'm going to name out Growing Power. They used to be in Milwaukee. Uh, they were a very strong nonprofit, but you know the the direction got you know uh, they lost sight of what I thought was important. Uh, but just because they d- they didn't succeed in the long term doesn't mean that it's a failed model. And that's what I would love to pick up with some of those models and succeed with them because I know there are variables to be to be uh, kind of twist it a little bit so that it fits Omaha and it fits Nebraska and it fits our needs and our vacuums. Uh, if we were to find a, a commercially zoned or general industrial zoned property in, uh, in anywhere in Omaha that, uh, that we can afford uh, and that is maybe a little bit bigger than an acre, we would be able to host students from out of state, We'd be able to host students internationally. We've done uh, the y- Yisili, Yisili, uh exchange program where people came from Laos and Malaysia and uh, were able to spend a, a spring with us. Uh, we would be able to house people that are coming from other parts of the world and, and see what permaculture looks like in Nebraska. Uh, everywhere around the world, is there, people are teaching people permaculture, and it looks different everywhere else. But I think Omaha and Nebraska has something special, and our particular uh, depiction and rendering of what permaculture should look like here, I think will turn some heads. It'll be a Field of Dreams moment. Well, so how, how can people get involved to help out in whatever way they can? Thank, thanks for asking that. Uh, so people can get uh, involved by inquiring with us. Uh, we have a, uh, an email on our website that it is a general email and we basically work with anyone who reaches out whether you're a student or someone retired or your your kids looking for volunteers we are able to work with almost anybody it's just a matter of transportation and uh and we will most likely set you up with projects permaculture projects that are either we can begin or we can bring you in halfway through towards something but we want you to be part of the uh, the finishing and the unveiling of a project and permaculture projects are are they're all types it's not just bu- building a garden it's designing your garden and understanding how it works so there's definitely an educational moment
0: that's omahapermaculture.org that's correct. Okay. Well, I'm excited about this vision. Uh, this seems like a way that even if people are feeling down about the general trend that the world might be going in, uh, this gives you some kind of satisfaction or purpose, and at least you're doing something that uh, you know can help alleviate it. It can teach you something, and you get some kind of satisfaction from it, right?
1: That's right. That's right. I think that uh, we're teaching backyard self-sufficiency and how to understand your own backyard and your own environment, and I'm, I really appreciate you having me on to talk about uh, what we're doing with uh, vacant properties, but also about what we're about to do. And we're, we're looking to uh, ask our community here in the next uh, couple months uh, for their support financially. We're actually trying to create a purse of funding so that we do not have to lean on bank financing so that we can acquire a headquarters. And we are looking at a few properties this fall and uh we will probably be uh negotiating for this future headquarters uh november and december uh and so our capital campaign has just kicked off and we're looking for about three hundred thousand dollars uh for not only uh acquiring the property but also whatever that property is but also uh any build out that needs to happen and we have some greenhouses and we want a community classroom we want uh a commercial food kitchen involved, and uh, we're gonna have a, a walk-in cooler. Uh, so we're, all these are kind of like uh, community amenities that will be provided for the community every day of the week and uh, people can have access to all these, these uh, community shared resources. Well,
0: I love it. I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens with it and seeing how hopefully Omaha culture changes because of it. So thank you for talking to me and sharing the vision today. Of course. Thanks, Tom. Riverside Chats is a production of KIOS 91.5 FM Omaha Public Radio. The show is produced and edited by Courtney Bierman. Our original music is written and performed by The Real Zebos. Our artwork is done by Ben Matukowitz. Remember that you can find the backlog of Riverside Chats episodes wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe today and please leave us a review. As always, thank you for listening. I'm Tom Novak.